This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Movie lovers, welcome to another Anatomy of Movie here on Popcorn Talk. Today we dissect Netflix's Mudbound. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk, we talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. All right, Mary J. Blige, you take it away. <laughs> we have Marissa Serafini. Hello, everyone. I'm Phil Svitek, and as I mentioned, we're doing Mudbound. It's a very powerful movie, and we're going to break it down from a story perspective, from a production perspective, and all the accolades surrounding it. Some yet to, perhaps yet to come, some already in the bag. Uh, but before we do, first off, I want to welcome you, the, the viewer, the fan. I truly appreciate you if you're joining us for the very first time. Welcome. If you're returning, welcome back. If you haven't already taken the time to do so, subscribe. That way you always get our episodes when they come out. You know, and not that you have to see every movie we do or listen to every episode that we cover. But as long as, you know, you see a movie... You can check back in with us because chances are we, we're doing it. Second, understand that we are spoiler-filled. We assume you've seen the movie. the And in this one in particular, it's available to you on Netflix. So yeah. you have even a greater chance of, of being able to see it. So go watch it and then come back to us. And lastly, we have our rundown in the description box. So you can click that PDF and follow along for your enjoyment. Without further ado, though, let us start with overall impressions for this movie, kicking it off with you, Marissa. So, I didn't hear a lot about Mudbound until after people had seen it and was talking about it, and then it was getting some Oscar nominations and, you know, contention for uh, for actually the, the accolades that we were about to mention. So, um, admittedly, this one kind of skipped past me because it was on Netflix, and which is... It's good and bad, um, but my overall quick thoughts of this movie, I thought some points of it were poignant and beautiful, and um, I liked the different narratives and everyone's different perspective. It kind of put them on a, an equal storytelling level, but then last 30 minutes, no one <coughs> like really told me that it was going to be that heavy and that... Um, that hard hitting that we, what we witnessed in the last 20, 30 minutes. And it's so powerful that when you end watching this film, you kind of just feel bad for humanity and that this, you know, this goes on in the, in the world and it like, it kind of ruins your day, but <laughs> it's, it's good and it's hard hitting enough that it makes it go. Wow. At the end of the film. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate its use of the voiceover narration and that skipping around. It's a technique that I've not yet seen. Uh, voiceovers, obviously, we you know, Shawshank Redemption being the pinnacle of voiceover movies, mm-hmm. but never from that from jumping around. So I thought that worked well, and it brought us very close to the characters, and it and, and it gave us quick backstory without having to see all the quote unquote boring parts. You know, we got enough, and we're we're in there. 
for me, I didn't expect it to go the way that it did, but I knew it wasn't going to end. It was not going to be a they lived happily ever after type of scenario. <laughs> no, that was not. for sure. And as gruesome as it is, and they, they do a great job of creating that time period. And yet, if you really stop and think about it, it's not that far removed. Yeah. And if you think about it, it was within the past century. So it's it it was years ago, but not that long ago because people are still alive from that generation. So you know you you still have people that can relate to that. Um and racism still goes on in the world, unfortunately. There has been more tolerance and um you know, civil rights movements have stepped up in and changed in different ways since then. But to see a story of this magnitude from these different perspectives, it's uh, it's eye opening. I I couldn't agree more. And in fact, what what's so interesting about it is that Hillary Jordan is the original novelist. It was her debut novel back in two thousand eight, um, and she's white. Yeah. And the from my understanding, the the movie captures her essence quite well. Right. And I think the good um, narration of just the story is that there is an, basically, well, like for the majority of the part, an equal amount of Caucasian perspectives and black perspectives. Um, and we had like three people from each that we're, we're focusing on. So on some level, there is like some um, equal uh, um, there in, in, in the amount there. And but you when you hear everyone's voiceovers you can't really tell you know the race you, you just understand the humanistic aspects and the situations they were going through and what it did was it made it very simple the fact that it's set on a farm obviously true to life in many ways but you could also see we, we've seen movies that take place around this that are set in cities and so forth and that are quote let's say more modernized but the fact that it brought it back to a very basic element of ultimately people just trying to survive. And when you talk about that equality, whether they were black or white, that they wanted to survive. And yet there was that underpinning of, yeah, we're trying to survive, but you're lesser than us or whatever. Right. And I did like the point where there there is the moment where the Caucasian white family has to move to this farmland um this um and they're put in the same type of literally environment as the black family so on some level they're in the same environment and dealing with the same environmental struggles with the weather with family issues so like on some levels they're very similar but it's how they treat each other that makes the whole um butting of heads and uh the 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 social status of each other different yeah i i, I agree and i i really first off i love the title mm-hmm. i to me what it represents is the fact the fact that we open up trying to you know bury the the dad it just means mudbound to me with all the rains and so forth we're all basically bound for our graves and yeah and and it's all sad too because like how it opens and how it ends it's just like good and there there's just so much mud everywhere it's also like just a tongue-in-cheek of the physical environment that they're in but with the 
the idea and the behind it and the meaning is this at the end of the day we're all going to still be buried in the same place yes yes indeed however even just you knew the opening scene right off the bat the fact that uh Jason Clark's character says, "Oh, he's not going to be buried next to a, a, a runaway slave." Yeah, slave grave or something like that. Yeah, uh, you. I was like, Ooh, "Okay, that in just that one line paints enough of a picture of what I need to know about this guy." Yeah, and like, and it just tells the audience enough of what this movie is going to be about. Yes, uh, which was interesting because, um, as I was kind of going through it, the way it was marketed to me was more of a story based on the the black family um and i felt i felt the beginning was more representative of the white family more so and i was like oh this is interesting we're spending a lot of time here um and then obviously it switches and so forth and and it kind of goes from there but i found did find that to be a little bit interesting is that's where we start yeah i um i completely agree with you as well because from the the notice of this movie and the uh, talk of mouth uh, from this movie has been from the the black community talking about this. And, I mean, Mary J. Blige, we'll get into the characters and stuff, but she's getting a lot of recognition for this. Um, she has music. She has acting in this, um, producing credits, and Dee Reese is getting a lot of attention for it. So uh, there is a lot of focus on the black African-American community um, of this film. And especially in a time of, you know, Oscar season and just what we're bringing to attention, the, the black community is coming to the forefront for film. Um, it's, it's getting a lot of good praise in a way. Yes, it should. I, I think it's a absolutely fantastic movie. Uh, Virgil Williams wrote the first adaptation a couple of years ago. And at this point, three years, 2015. And then uh, D. Rees read it, had a chance to read it, and she was fascinated by it, took to the book, and was what else can we add? And the two of them sculpted it to, to make the movie that you see. Yeah, and Virgil Williams, I actually know him from, he he's a writer in Criminal Minds. And and when I saw his writing credit, I was like, oh, that's very interesting. Um, in a lot of interviews, he actually says that once he read the book, he just had that sinking feeling. He knew that he had to write and adapt the the book and he felt it was like his mission in life to to write this movie and i'm um, good for him for having that passion and uh, like finding a purpose in life to do something yeah and i think it's always fun to talk about with the marvel movies but it's also great when you get to talk about i mean there's plenty of real stories um and when i say real i don't necessarily just mean movies based on actual events mm-hmm. even uh, something like this, which is real enough, um, despite whether or not these characters actually lived. Um, and I appreciate that. I, I appreciate a story like this being brought to life. Yeah. And I, I'm glad he, he had that calling. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I've said in past anatomies, like, I like it when real stories happen. And, I mean, this is based on a book, but it's the situation is real enough to to tell people. And I appreciate Virgil Williams um, having that realization that um, you know you just appreciate him, appreciate him as a writer and an artist who just wanted to do something good um, and had a drive and motivation to tell something for the artistic 
sense, not just for making money like Marvel does, you know? <laughs> yes. Well, part of part of how he wrote it and why we get so many great voiceovers is he, he wrote individualized monologues for the characters, and and that's what shaped a lot of those parts within the movie, uh, whether little scenes or, uh, again, just the voiceovers themselves. So I, I, I truly appreciate that because you do it, – it's – I can't speak to it enough. It is interesting to get those moments because once you start getting in everyone's head, as see, as scenes play out, you know they're both their perspectives, and you, you can start to read the subtext of everything a lot faster, mm-hmm. um, and that's what makes it quite interesting. Yeah, and I think it's it's really good because everyone just hearing their pe- uh, you know people's uh, voiceovers, it was more about the environment or the situation that they're facing. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly. Like, it's not a lot about what they thought of other people. It's just how the other people treated them in the physical sense. And But their voiceovers are like, this is the environment that we're in. We're surrounded by mud. They're, they're talking about things in their life, not the people. Yeah. <clears throat> um, in fact, uh, let's start with Carrie Mulgan's Laura. Love that her. that storyline. Uh, there's no one character that I could be happy for, <laughs> and Laura in particular. Uh, you know, when I when I first heard her voiceover about her goals in life and what she's doing and, and so forth, I was like, "Oh dear Lord." Yeah, I mean, you feel bad for this woman. Uh, and I, first of all, I love Carrie Mulligan. She's an amazing actress. She's also in one of my favorite films of Never Let Me Go. It's such a great <laughs> film. Um, but her character is in, she's kind of like stuck in a rock in a hard place. She She's loyal to her husband. Doesn't seem like she loves him, but she's definitely loyal. And uh, she and she's just stuck with doing things like the business, dealing with her husband, dealing with her, her husband's father, her father-in-law. Um, and she doesn't really get a lot of say, but she goes along because she's just that loyal woman. And there was a line where she says, like, I know it's my purpose in life to, like, something along the lines of, like, make him happy and make him food and dinner every day and yield to his wishes. I'm like, oh, woman, if that's your purpose in life is to serve a man, that's sad. Um, that's really sad. But I did like the moment she does have some strength in her because when they were moving and she was like so adamant about keeping the piano because it's the only civilized thing in the house i was like yeah if if it's something you want you should stick up for yourself and say it despite the people who are always telling you no um so i did like her character um she seemed very consistent throughout she well she did seem consistent but um you know there, there, there were moments like that's consistency um there was an underlying current that she kind of did know what was right and what was wrong, and she was always going to do that. So what I mean by that, the moment where, you know, uh, the other guy's leg breaks or, um, you know, he, he has that injury, she steals that money and uses it to pay for the doctor despite um, what what he thought, you know, despite what her husband was going to say. Mm-hmm. And that was an act of defiance, um, but it, it was very subdued and so forth. And I think, you know, so in her own way, 
like it's a kind of interesting to note that her purpose was to make her husband happy, and yet she realized like okay, you know what? If I have the skill set to make my husband happy, maybe it should extend to other people as well. Mm-hmm. You know, and like if because on the surface that's not a bad quality and a purpose in life. You no, know, to not. to kind of interject the happiness and so forth. And I'm not saying like she's. She's Mother Teresa or like Jesus, mm-hmm. but just that small act certainly, you know, helped. And, and, you know, as far as their bond and their friendship, like uh, vice versa, she was there when um, when Laura needed her. Yeah. And like, and I like the fact that she did know right from wrong. And then when she saw when other people were struggling and she could help in a situation, she gladly did it. Um, and no one told her to do it. She just wanted to do it. She was willing, in in a selfless way, help other people. Yes, and um, and obviously that's why her and Jamie did get quite along, is because they, you know, they they shared that sentiment. And, um, mm-hmm. and in some ways, like, um, you know, where where Henry's the older brother, uh, Laura, like the way maybe because it's Carrie Mulligan, and I know she's younger. Um, like the both of them looked like a younger generation, and so if there was any hope in this entire movie, it's the fact like okay, yes, we have past generations of prejudice, but m- the younger people are at least in their own quiet way realizing, oh, you know what, things have to change. Right. Um, yes, she is younger, but uh, it it was really frustrating is to see, uh, you know, Laura with with her husband <coughs> because uh, Henry. And Henry, like, treated Laura just like any other woman, didn't really respect her enough, and it was just frustrating as a woman to see a man treat her just like, hey, and take advantage of her and, like, some just regular things in life. And they did not have chemistry, so it it was hard to see them together. And I'm just thinking throughout the entire film, I was like, why are you still with him? Like, I get you're loyal and you're married, but, like... There, there was no real love and affection towards each other. Well, unfortunately, that we're perhaps privileged enough to like Have be allowed that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but as, as far as like actuality, you know, it holds true. Uh, you and I have both seen enough movies and read enough books to be like, okay, yeah, you don't really like that. That's your lot in life. Yeah, and you're sticking to it. Uh, and you got to try to just make the best of it. And and part of it is she doesn't know any different. Yeah. She was a 31-year-old virgin, so it just shows that she, she doesn't have, like, a lot of experience just with men and with, like, uh, uh, and social um, maturity in that sense. So I think is, and it's actually a very common thing in the Midwest slash South. I don't want to speak for the South, but it, it is a common theme of, like you marry the people you only really know within your circle instead of going out into the world. Well, which is, doesn't have to be a bad thing. No, it's but not. It's, it's just, a very common thing. Yeah. I mean, it happens I, It happens enough times in the Northeast and so forth, or at least right. in Connecticut where I grew up. Everyone's from the hometown getting married. So it's not, but it's just, it just comes down to, are they a good person? Is this a good relationship? Mm-hmm. You know? Because uh, as great as all these dating apps are, there's nothing's wrong with the good old. Oh, I happen to know you. We fell in love. Great. Old-fashioned way of courting. Um, let's let's switch gears and talk about uh, Pappy because he's the catalyst 
you know, he he's the catalyst of all of this. He's who. He's a foil, really. Yeah, he's a catalyst, but he's definitely a foil to everybody. That he is. Um, Jonathan Banks, amazing actor. Mm-hmm. I, he's been in a ton of stuff, but uh, for me, I, I I didn't really take notice of him until Breaking Bad and now Better Call Saul. Uh, but uh, he just does a wonderful job, and he has that very stoic face, and in this sense, uh, just filled with hatred. Yeah. Yeah. See, I haven't watched Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul, so I don't really know his acting as well as you do. But to see his character and just his acting, I thought he did great. He was so dislikable. Um, so dislikable. To to see and witness this kind of character have such a small-minded way of thinking and um, so intolerant of the people in his situations and, like, and his actions and attitudes towards the blacks, it's it was really hard to watch. It also extended beyond that. He he was upset with Jamie for the fact of him being an airplane pilot, essentially. Yeah. He he, he thought he felt that was cowardice, and it's like okay, well, fine. You may have been in World War One and like all those wars prior, perhaps. Uh, and they might have fought on the ground with guns and swords and cannons and so forth. But Face guess what? Face each other face to face. Yeah. Yeah. It's at the end of the day, cowardice or not, when Hitler's coming at you with his Lufthansa, <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. you're going to want to get in a plane. Yeah. And it was just really frustrating to see, like, Pappy. He's, he's just an angry guy. Um, everything he said and his views towards life and situations he he's an angry man and you just kind of feel bad for him and it makes you wonder like what makes him so angry uh and like and just how he treated people was just very frustrating that's like not a person he he was not nice to anyone not even his own family no and i i'm not saying he's a pro- product of his time but he definitely bought into it. You know, granted, like, you had the Roaring Twenties. I don't think he participated in that. No. But then what did probably affect him was the the Depression. Mm-hmm. And so, and, you know, you kind of have to wonder about his life. But it, it, it's just one of those things of, like, you either let it kill you and depress you. Or you just say, okay, well, listen, I'm going to find a way out of that. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think... Like most people, it's way easier to just have excuses and blame other people and so forth. Mm-hmm. He's a very, very troubled, sad character. Yeah, but he he was good because he was like the example of what not to be in in this film. Like this is a guy that you clearly had to dislike, um, and it made you kind of forced you to like everybody else mm-hmm. way more than him. That it did. That it did. Um, speaking of people we liked, um, Jason Mitchell, uh, fantastic. Did uh, Straight Out of Compton as Easy E, mm-hmm. uh, and and so I'm glad to see him in a different role. I did because I didn't put the two and two together um, initially just by seeing him, and I thought he did a wonderful job as Ronsel. Um, yeah. And you could tell you could tell the friendship they actually did have. You bought into it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think Jason is a really good up-and-coming actor. I recognize him as Easy e because he has such an amazing performance in Straight Outta Compton. Um, he was very memorable. And to see, so, like, I already knew that he could be empathetic. 
um, and a character you you kind of grow to love or you can feel for him. And then uh, I liked how he because this relationship between Ronzel and and uh, Jamie Jamie. Um, it seemed authentic. It seemed real. The guy, these guys had a similarity, finally, between each other. Not just with the, the color of their skin, but they actually, as humans, had a similarity that they could bond over. And it was real. It didn't seem forced. And um, and every time you see Ronzel, he, he was always nice and respectful to other people. And no matter what color they were or race they were or if they were man or woman. So, like, he he was a good guy. He cared about his family. And you really didn't have a reason to dislike him. No. and The fact with his girlfriend, he'd already sort of proven to himself the fact that uh, that color can break boundaries. You know, and that not, not all white people in this instance have to be a certain way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that was, um, and the, I think that's what helped them out certainly in forming the friendship with Jamie is because, okay, he, he saw that same side, obviously in a different uh, way. And it was, a, both of them expressed their friendship far different than yeah. um, them. But uh, I enjoyed Yeah. I thought, I thought it worked really well. And uh, he's a very tragic character. I felt so bad for him. He's a, you there. know, for all he's a war hero, and he's being treated as if okay, that nothing, nothing happened. Yeah, and th- and that's what's frustrating because he he when he comes back home to be with his family, he's always listing all the things that he actually did that are actually very honorable actions within the military <laughs> and and fighting with the Black Panthers and stuff. And that's something you'd actually go up to a veteran and shake their hand for. But then when he came back and people were spitting on him, treating him like crap and telling him to use the back door, um, it's just very frustrating for him as knowing he's such a good guy and good person to be treated so unfairly. Yeah, I was... And he doesn't deserve it. No, he did not. No. And and again, you, you kind of... These types of movies, I hope, you know, kind of just spark the absurdity of what we've done in the past. But to the same token, I, I feel oftentimes it's easy to write off a movie like this as like, oh, that was bad, but we're doing so much better. It's like, okay, no, no, no. We have our own versions of that. Mm-hmm. So there's still a lot left to, you know, contend with. Right, it's like they did a good job of writing a story based on reality and, root- and rooted and cemented in reality. But it's also it's like, what do you learn from this situation? Like, well, how can we apply this to real time and nowadays? Like, w- this situation, w- what can you take away from it? Absolutely. Um, any scene that absolutely stood out to you? Um, whether Other whether it was the, gruesome the or very just... clear obvious one. Yeah, I mean, we could talk about that one if you want, or we could take a couple of other more powerful scenes. Uh, un- well, unfortunately, but fortunately, the last twenty minutes really just sticks with you. That's mm-hmm. that's because they did such a great job of this scene in general, as filmmaking and storytelling and everything. Um, that when you watch it, this is what you remember of the film. And that was obviously a very conscious choice in ter- in terms of the theme. They they often talk about um, D in particular uh, the American dream versus the American reality. 
Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's interesting to look at it in this way because their dream is very simple. It's agriculture. It's It's as basic as you can get. And yet, you know, we can't even get that right in a sense. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's the product of farming and agriculture when you don't have control of the weather and you can't control if your product is going to actually grow properly or if or grow enough that you make a living off of your your agriculture and that affects your family that affects how much you eat and how like everyone can just survive as humans uh, that is also sad that people because that's all they had to go off of that they're they're on a farming plantation uh, and I think it's just uh, the, the situation of how it all, the the ending climactic scene is like how it all came together. Um, it was a slow build up to explosiveness, I guess you can say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And part of what made it work, we, we talk about a lot of movies and sometimes books on our series adapted. So check that out if you're mm-hmm. interested. Um but where where things start sort of mid point and then we go back but generally no offense to those other movies i i feel like it's a throwaway type of scene and i'm like ah okay like even even as great as the hangover is which i understand is comedy and but for the purpose of that there there's kind of a phone call that's made very early on of like hey we messed up boom and we're back it's okay. like you know what like fine i get it but it it, it doesn't really help whereas this was so that first opening scene set us up for such tension. Yeah. That when we do go back and we finally come back to that moment, it triples its meaning. Yeah. Like, You're like, oh, oh. <laughs> I get it. Um, I, I think another film that that does a great job of like setting up uh, a movie and just like the the brutality of what you're about to see is also Selma. You know, I mean, I mean mm-hmm. Ava DuVernay. That's, I mean, that's what like really got her a spotlight, and uh, and like with the opening scene of that, you see four children literally get blown up, and you feel for it because like these are innocent girls at school, and you're like you don't expect it. So to to lead into like the 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 march and all the the movement that they did throughout this film, and like or throughout that film, it, it kind of like sets up the the tone in the same way that this film did, where there's a lot of racism, there's a build up, and like and you get your not to say your re- resolution at the end, but you understand what happened at the end. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. Let's shift gears into production because we'd be remiss not to talk about certainly the cinematography in particular. Um, First off, uh, Rachel Morrison, first nominated woman cinematographer. Which is astounding. It's incredible. And it's also like so good for her. So happy for her for being the first woman. You go, girl. Uh, but also really sad knowing in the years we've had all the Oscar movies and uh, Oscar awards that this is the first year a woman is nominated. Something's wrong. Absolutely. And, and you know, perhaps I should have done a little bit more research on women cinematographers like of the past. Mm-hmm. Because I promise you a lot. Of, I'm sure if I pulled up a list right now, there'd be so many movies. In fact, Juliet, Juliet, you in the booth. Big up. She's Big up. She fell asleep. All right. 
Juliet, um, you're going to look up all uh, great movies that have been um, shot by women. Female cinematographers. Yes. We'll do that. And that's why also, like, when, I'm going to bring it up, Megan Levy, when that movie came out in this past summer, that that movie was literally consisted of 95% of women on the production team. We had a women writer, women director, women storylines, women cinematographer, women editor. Um, it, there, there's just like, there's so many movies out there that are actually being made, well made by women, and they're not getting enough recognition that they should. Yeah, it's, uh, it's truly sad. And she went to great lengths with this movie, the results of which are very evident mm-hmm. she, she got magazines she got books ph- photographs and so forth of that time period and she tried to essentially match it um highlighting you know and using different color schemes only when absolutely necessary to highlight a specific point or scene or yeah. moment yeah and the amazing thing about her cinematography in this film it was actually shot digitally and she used a lot of the practical slash natural lighting in the environments that they were in. So like the sun or maybe one lamp in a bedroom or something. So to to give the, the actual real authentic look of living on a farm. And and she they did a lot of color schemes as well. Um, they shot on the Alexa mini cameras. And, um, and, but they shot like low, low ISO for those who, who don't know is, uh, so they lower the, the, the light exposure to the lens, but that raises the grain to kind of imitate the look of actual film. Interesting. There you go. Mm -hmm. Good. But it was shot digitally. Yeah. I think digital to me works i don't know i know there's a lot of film snobs and things like that and i don't take it away from you guys but i i if you're gonna have a budget i'd rather put it towards something else than just quote you know there's still a way to get the look of something without having to spend a ton of money on it yeah um anywho so uh you got the list for us juliet you got you got to raise your volume. No one can hear you otherwise. Can you hear me now? I yes. can hear you now. Yes. All right. All right read it to us. Uh, Rachel Morrison, Ellen Kuras. I'm sorry if I'm botching these names. Uh, Maris Alberti, Reed Morano, Natasha Breyer, Amy Vincent, Nancy Schriber, <laughs> Autumn Dural, Tammy Riker, Sandy Seisel. Um, and what are some of the names of the movies they've they've done? Oh. Asking me a lot here, Phil. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, I like to keep you on your toes. I like well, I like to inform our but audience. But also, Rachel Morrison, same DP as Black Panther, and Black Panther is doing humongous things right now. You uh, would never Mike think Bound, that. Uh, the film we we're talking about, Dope, another movie. I believe it's on Netflix. Uh, Black Panther, as Marissa was mentioning. Um, Fruitful Station, which came out. Oh, that's 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 all, yeah. Rachel. Yeah, yeah, fruits. Yeah, and, and Rachel works um, on all of Ryan Coogler's films, and those are all Coogler's films. Well, she's going to be in high demand, as oh, is yeah. he. Yeah, as absolutely. Is he. They're 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 making headway. So exciting, exciting to see. But yeah, I just also wanted to take that opportunity to highlight other female cinematographers because guess what, people, they do exist and they're great. I know and beautiful. And and I think like I actually have to applaud 
Natalie Portman because at the, I believe it was the, the either Golden Globes or SAG Awards, uh, when she was there to announce, she was actually one of the announcers and our presenters um, for cinematography. She made a line, she's like, and here's the list of all male cinematographers. Uh, and then I think it was the directors. At, at the, you're talking about the Globes for the director, she said, and the all-male nominees for direction are... Yeah, I'm pre- I was pretty sure it was for uh, actual cinematography in production because it was a week later, Rachel Morrison got nominated for Academy Awards. Interesting. Um, I forget. Well, yeah, because then I know Greta... Sherwick. Uh, yeah, she got nominated as a director as well because I know the Globes themselves didn't have... Uh, a female represented director category. Interesting. So, hey. But female directors have been nominated for Oscars. I mean, you have Catherine Bigelow being mm. the only female director, which that needs to change as well. So, things are moving along. Um, okay, so we, we've highlighted Rachel. And um, for those of you who want to talk about great cinematography, we also talked about Rachel at depth in our Black Panther review. Um, another very significant cultural film anyway um let's let's talk about uh the director of course yeah d reese she i mean she really had a vision and she was able to execute i mean this this really is an ensemble cast and the way she's able to pluck the strings if you will and combine all those elements of acting the way it looks and then of course through editing I think she's she she deserves a lot of credit, and I think she's going to be in high demand moving forward as well. Absolutely, and um, De Reese <laughs> is actually a, a fierce, openly gay black woman uh, that Virgil Williams says, and she actually helped. Well, like they they filmed this movie in less than a month, so to to create, a, well, I, I don't want to say simple, but it is a a simple story with um in like one major location it, like you don't really travel the globe you know it's, it's not high high production value um but to to execute a, a darker gritty film such as this in less than a month and to have different voices and different characters but not once get like so convoluted or so confusing jumping from person to person and scene to scene there's still a clear direction you're going and watching this film you, you don't ever really get lost no not at all uh and that's a that's a huge testament to her to be able to to juggle all of that keep things in motion and um you know, I think despite the sort of one location, she's able to use it really well. And she, um, number one, it never feels boring because she keeps changing the camera in different locations. Um, you know, from from perspectives we have we haven't seen, and so that's what makes it interesting. And um, but yeah, to that point though, there is a, in a sense, claustrophobia, which that's what mm-hmm. these characters are ultimately going through. Um, so, so I, I truly, truly appreciate that. Um, when we talk about the music aspect of it, uh, I was saving Mary J. Blige for this in particular. Mm -hmm. Uh, now first off, Mary J. Blige, uh, it was just news, I think today or pretty recently. She said she's lost more money on this movie than she's made, which is incredible because she, you know, she, she was empowered by this movie. She wanted to get in the game and... 
when you talk about Rachel Morrison and her accomplishments, Mary J. Blige is the first person ever to get a nomination for a supporting role, as well as a best song. Best song. Good for her. I mean, I've always been a fan of Mary J. Blige. She's an amazing singer, and her music's fantastic. So good on her. And then, like, watching this... I knew she was in it, but I had to go back and watch a little bit. I was like, oh, yeah, that's Mary J. Blige. Like, literally unrecognizable in a good way that I, she just got so lost in just being playing a real woman struggling in the situation that she was in that I didn't think Mary J. Blige. I thought, man, I feel for this woman. Absolutely. Um, and I, I think, you know, Rihanna's someone that comes to mind who's a singer slash actress at this point. Yeah, she's a terrible actress. <laughs> But, yeah, I wasn't yes, going to say it like that, but, but the point being, yeah, you, you with Rihanna, you see, okay, Rihanna's acting. Mm-hmm. Whereas like this, she really has some acting chops, and she, as you said, she transformed into that role, and the, and the icing on the cake for her to get that great song, it's Mighty River, it's called, um, it, it's just the culmination of, of her true talents, mm-hmm. you know, and I think Rihanna as a singer's talented, but as an actress, eh, right. got well, some work to do. Though. Here's another example: Janelle Monet. She was in two big movies last year of 2017 and er, 2016 as well. Um, but and she was in Hidden Figures, and I believe it was also Moonlight. And to com- completely, you forget the fact that she has an amazing pop music R and B career. But she's she actually has like amazing, great acting potential as well. And I think. Janelle Monet, another person who can just get lost in a character, and then you forget their actual um, career that actually started them. Yes, another character that's uh, in this movie that's able to transform quite well, Jason Clark. I do have to give him his due credit as I didn't love Henry for obvious reasons, right? But Jason Clark as as an actor, I, I appreciate it. You know, he, he's got a lot of great movies under his belt. Um, so I remember misses, but like for example, like Winchester, I actually liked that was pretty recent. Oh, um, I, I, I even like the the latest Terminator, and I liked him in that. So, and yeah, I think he has this grit about him, especially in this movie that he's able to bring and ha- uh, that bravado. Mm. It's what makes you dislike him in this movie, and it's great. Right, I I haven't seen Jason Clark as much as you have, uh, apparently. But is the roles I've seen him in, he he plays that the gruff, strong, kind of headstrong kind of guy. So he it seems not to call him a, a a type actor, but he he plays the same type of personality in in a lot of his films that I've seen. That so it didn't seem like it was out of his wheelhouse to play someone as gruff and rough and tumble as Henry was. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was good, though. He was good. Getting back to the music, though, um, apart from Mary J. Blige, they had about five weeks to really put the score together, and they purposely chose to avoid Southern-style influences and references, which I thought was... Um, uh, it worked. It, you know, uh, the score itself... While it's not, you know, John Williams, I felt it was memorable enough, and and it it made it so emotional. And right off the, because it opened that opening scene itself, you're kind of getting the title cards and so forth, and all of a sudden, you know, they're they're just digging. But it's already got such heavy music, and you're like, okay, something's about to happen. Mm-hmm. 
Right, and and they they use the seven piece string ensemble, and uh, to stay away from the the southern music, it was actually the director's D. Reese's choice to go with an all string score. So, and and violin and strings help actually evoke a lot of emotion. Um, but then after the the craziness of the the whole horrible scene. Um, at, at the end of the film, to, to wrap it up during the credits with Mary J. Blige's uh, Mighty River, just like really put the, the cherry on top. Yes, it's, it's a great song, though. It's a great song. It's a fantastic this song. This is me still going to win it at the Oscars, just saying. But it's an amazing song. Everyone should listen to Mighty River. Um, absolutely. Well, it had its premiere over at Sundance. Um, and got right got got snatched up right away by Netflix, yeah, um, which was great. Uh, and then it did have, you know, I started hearing about it, and the reason I always thought it was a theatrical movie is because we live in Los Angeles. It did have a limited run in New York and L.A., and that's how I heard a lot of good word of mouth of Mudbound. Mudbound, I saw a lot of uh, trailers for it, and it looked like a movie. Uh, I'm slightly ashamed that. We hadn't yet done it. It was one of those movies on my list uh, that I was like, okay, this looks good. And and lo and behold, it was. Right. And Oscars love heavy stories such as this one. And um, I think Netflix did a good job of snatching at the opportunity to get it. And their distribution is worldwide, international. But I think it also kind of, in a way, at the same time, did a disservice for it because Mudbound gets lost within the hundreds of thousands of choices of movies and television shows you can watch on Netflix, you can easily pass it and watch something else. And that's why when you go to an actual movie theater in the cinemas, you you get the choice of, like, on average, 8 to 12 movies that you can pick and actively go watch, whereas Netflix, you get thousands of choices um, so it, it, so I feel like Mudbound kind of, for me, got lost within Netflix just because there were so many choices. Yeah, I think as far as movies such as Mudbound go, I think they should adopt more of the Amazon Studios route. Because yeah, like Manchester mm-hmm. by the Sea, an Amazon Studio movie, and, and look at what that just managed to do for movies. He, and also, just recently, like The Big Sick, also an Amazon film. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so if, if a movie like this, especially just the work that went, that was put into it, yes, we've made great advancements in terms of home theaters. And I'm sure a lot of people had, like, I'd be surprised if someone told me they didn't have a TV. Now, I don't care if you actually watch TV or so forth, whether it's whatever cast box you're using, mm-hmm. you know, people generally have, can watch Netflix in a good enjoyable way but still the way we talked about rachel and 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 d's and so forth uh you want to see it i i wish it had an opportunity to actually have a run at theater yeah yeah i i completely agree and i mean netflix is great for the international distribution but the i think the problem with netflix is that it doesn't shine enough spotlight on this one particular film whereas movie theaters you get a choice of 10 to 12 and Netflix you get thousands. So, they their movie theaters are more centered on like particular movies that you actually can your only options to go see. Yeah, and I think 
you know, I, I, I especially for like Black History Month, I was expecting this movie to be out, and all of a sudden, you know, it, it wasn't in any theater I could go see. So I was like, oh crap, I gotta watch it on Netflix. Right. Um, anywho, and part of the reason why our regular co-host Dimitri Panos is not here, um, he just in particular <laughs> hates it when when movie studios do this and treat films this way. Um, which I'm not saying is right or wrong, but I have, as I said, I, I, well, I presented my thoughts on it. Right. I mean, it's still a good film, no matter what platform you watch it on. Yeah. I think sometimes Dimitri, unfortunately, puts the movie in the same class as, like, the actual model and, and, and uses it as a way of judging the movie, and I don't mm. always appreciate that. No. But anyway, sorry to bad Matthew Dimitri. You're not here <laughs> to stand up for yourself. Well, he's not here. Uh, anywho, you know... Uh, we'll see Oscars is this weekend, so we'll see what it actually ends up getting there. Um, yes, yep. that's our timestamp, time period for that. Um, but nonetheless, speaking of that, that's what's so great about movies, that they are ultimately timeless. And the way we extend this conversation beyond this singular point in time is you guys comment, rate, subscribe, and all that good stuff, and we'll, we'll chat about the movie for years to come. That's what's so great about it, and I, I, I love revisiting movies that were years ago when people are still commenting like this. They're just getting to it, especially we just talked about it. Netflix, you can go to – it's, it's going to be in that catalog forever and always. Mm-hmm. Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, but nonetheless, so if you discover it, whenever you're discovering it, a.k.a. today for you, <laughs> right. uh, maybe six months from now of me doing this video, but – you know that just just continue continue love and discussion of movies. That's what I'm saying. Right, absolutely. And the great thing about this film is like just the storyline. It is t- now timeless because it is a time period, and it, it goes back to World War II era. So you can watch this movie at any time. But the the themes and the relevance of it it's still very topical. Absolutely. Today. Absolutely. Uh, anyway, that about does it for us. I think. In, in the meantime, you can certainly follow at Serafini TV. That's right. And her and I made mention to it. We do a series called Adapted uh, Film Books to Movies. It's over on Books for Call Online, or you could just search for it on iTunes or YouTube, whatever. Uh, so it's we're slowly we're doing it monthly. So we, right now we've done about ten, and yep. slowly but surely we're going to fill that library. Absolutely. Pun intended. Speaking of libraries, we have a whole entire library of, of movies that we've dissected here on Anatomy of Movie. You can browse through that. Uh, Selma, we've covered. Manchester by the Sea. Uh, certainly Black Panther. Yep. Um, and so definitely keep checking out those. We're going to continue doing plenty more in the future. In fact, our next one is... Uh, game night and then next week we are doing red sparrow and annihilation so look out for those and lots and lots to come i Uh, hope this film gets like a lot of good recognition at the academy awards because it really does deserve some well we'll see we'll see maybe we'll instagram an update yeah there we go uh and of course you can follow me at philsvtech.com and i do have to do a shout out for uh mick who is one of my uh patrons on my patreon so I, it's one of the rewards. So if you want to become a patron of mine, I'll shout you out on Anatomy of Movie. Hello, Mick. Thank you, Mick. All right, thank you guys. Uh, we'll check you out next time. Keep checking out other movies and of course other shows here on Popcorn Talk Network. Bye.
From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of its owners or principals.